not very long ago in a studio in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Storytelling Breakdown, Episode 4, The Foresight to Retain International Merchandising Rights. It is a time of uncertainty on the planet Earth, and as fans everywhere share memes of Baby Yoda and debate where the rise of Skywalker falls in the pantheon of Star Wars films released after 1983. In the midst of this chaos, three geeks get together in the production studio at 89.1 WBOI to go back to the beginning. Sort of. Little do the hosts know, they are about to be transported back to an era when the apocalypse on everyone's minds was Y2K. No Scrubs was four months old. Anthony Daniels had only been in four Star Wars movies. And a deck-building card game was released to promote The Phantom Menace. Let's party like it's 1999. Welcome to Storytelling Breakdown, I'm Ben Clemmer. And I'm Caleb Meyer. I'm going to set up our topic for this episode in a few minutes, but I don't want to waste a second to introduce our guest in studio. John Caulfield, welcome to Storytelling Breakdown. Thanks. And because this is the first time the two of you have met, though we did get a little bit of a preamble uh, before the mics were turned on, John Caleb. Caleb John. Pleasure to meet you, Nice to meet you. I'm very excited for today. (laughs) I think this is going to be a blast. Mm -hmm. So, John, before we talk a little or a lot about tabletop games, why don't you tell Caleb and our audience what you do and what you've been up to lately, because it has been a while since you and I talked on the mics. Oh, wow. Okay. The uh, Well, the short version is now I have the joy of being a full-time student once again. Uh, I'm getting back in touch with my geek side. I, in my undergraduate years, I was actually a computer information systems person, so business system design and analysis. Uh, and then along the way, somehow I ended up writing, and I did a whole slew of writing and 36 books later, um, ended up in marketing, and now now I'm going back into my geek world. So I'm, I'm having fun now. Good. Very good. The last time we spoke, we talked about Gen Con and gaming with family. Mm-hmm. I know Caleb and I just both played a game called Mixtape for the first time, uh, not even a week ago. And it's kind of this apples to apples meets cards against humanity vein, only instead of answering prompts with cards, you answer with songs. Okay. I think our playlist for that game could have easily lasted five hours, but I'm always <laughs> curious because I feel like I do learn something new about gaming every time we talk. What are some of the latest games that have been on your radar? There's one that's called Cities Skylines, which started life as a computer game and has now made the hop into tabletop gaming. Uh, that just recently came out from Cosmos. And really, we're, uh, we're really looking forward to that, we being my son and I. Our youngest is 15, and he and I co-write a review column for um, National Game Magazine. Have a lot of fun doing that. You know, it's, it's nice to have something that my 15-year-old and I really have a genuine love of sitting down together and doing stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, other new things. Man, there are so many. Uh, we have been getting into a game called Imperial Settlers, which at first blush, you might think, oh, it's probably like Settlers of Catan. But uh, it's completely different. Really, really interesting thing. Uh, and they've just released a new, not an expansion, but more like a new direction. So they've got the base game series still, but now they have this new one called Empires of the North, which has some new gameplay elements in it. Same kind of style as the old game, but it is indeed a standalone product. So we've been getting into that. 
and playing classics like Six Nymphed, which uh, we go back to all the time because we just love that game. Our topic today does relate to games, but a couple nights ago, I was trying to think of some additional context for what we wanted to cover. And I remembered a scene that talks about where the real money in the movie is made. Spaceballs the t-shirt. Spaceballs the coloring book. Spaceballs the lunchbox. Spaceballs the breakfast cereal. Spaceballs the flamethrower. The kids love this one. The whole irony to that scene, the merchandising scene, is that Mel Brooks and the creators of Spaceballs legally weren't allowed to sell any merchandise based off of the film. You can parody Star Wars the film, but don't you dare release a Dark Helmet action figure along with it. Now, after that setup, John, you probably know exactly what I'm going to ask next because the story relates to so many facets of what we are going to do for this episode. You have a very specific window into the world of <laughs> merchandise that comes with the Star Wars films. Please share that story. I know I'm excited to hear it again, though. First, I'm trying to remember <laughs> when did this happen? Although oh, we... golly. Uh, this was mid-1990s, so I guess late 1990s. Decipher, the company behind the Star Wars card game back then, uh, had just come out with their base game, and they were coming out with new expansions, and they wanted a strategy guide. And lo and behold, I knew them, and uh, one thing led to another, so I'm going to write my first strategy guide, which I'm super excited about. But I had never really interacted with licensing before, and we had the official Star Wars customizable card game strategy guide, which was one heck of a title. But, you know, I'm looking through a computer game magazine one day, and I see an ad for my book, which is really kind of cool. But then, like two pages away, there's an ad for the unofficial guide. And I didn't really think anything about it. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, there's a visual guide. Of course, there's going to be an unofficial guide. And I happened to mention in an email to my editor, I was like, yeah, we must be doing something right because um, there's already an unofficial guide announced. And I got just like right back. I got an email from my editor. Can you send me that? Like, uh, can you fax me that? Because this was in the days before take a picture of something. I tore the page out, shoved it in my fax machine. 30 minutes later, my fax machine buzzes again. And it peels out a letter with Lucas licensing, you know, like title on the top. This is official Lucas licensing. This was a cease and desist letter that I never want to be on the recipient end of. This thing was like, you will stop and you will sit still and you will shut up and you will cut off your right arm. You, it was the most insane letter. And, you know, thankfully scrawled across the top was, here's what they just sent out. You know, just, you know, to reinforce, it wasn't for you, John. This was just a copy. But thought, holy free holies, I don't ever want to get a Lucas licensing letter. Before we turn the mics on, you mentioned that you did get to have some interaction from some of the folks at Lucas Licensing, perhaps to provide just an extra layer of context. Uh, where did things go from there? Well, sadly, uh, we wrote the book. That wasn't the sad part. But by the time the uh, we were done with the book, unfortunately, the publisher, they were kind of on weird ground. And so they ended up closing up shop. Uh, so sadly, we wrote this whole book. A friend of mine and I uh, wrote the book. And it went away. 
Uh, it was never to be seen nor heard from again. On the uh, on the more interesting side, you know, we had this book, and you know, so I went through that moment, like maybe I could just publish it. Maybe I could self-publish this thing. Yeah, I quickly figured out now, no, really, uh, <laughs> because I think it was going to be like fifty thousand dollars for the rights to use the Star Wars names and to use the art and all of that. Because uh, Decipher looked at self-publishing it, and in the end, it's like, yeah, it's just not going to work. But yeah, I got to uh, got to interact some with the head of Lucas Licensing, uh, who is uh, known officially. Her her first name is Lucy. Uh, she's known unofficially as Queen Lucy. I, I heard from multiple people. It's like you do not cross Queen Lucy. <laughs> My interaction was, was super nice, but yeah, I got the impression from that cease and desist letter, like yeah, you don't cross Lucas Licensing. <laughs> So somewhere in your vaults, do you have a copy of the guide? Oh, I still do. I have the original doc files and yeah, it was fun because I got to fly out to Norfolk, Virginia, where Decipher was headquartered and went out twice, got to look at new sets before they were released and we're pre, you know, we're play testing everything. It was fun to just, you know, you get to hang out with the designers and meet some of the serious play testers, the guys who are like national level tournament champions they come in to try out these things and see how they can break the new set. You know, then you get to talk to the designers and, and hear, okay, so why are you going to tweak the wording on this? Well, because if without this, and then they'd rattle off, like if you do all of these things with it, then the game breaks. And yeah, I knew the game, but I'm still sitting here like, how on earth did you come up with that combination? Like, I'm, I'm really happy when I get the same weapon out with the right character. <laughs> and, and you're talking about, well, yeah, you got this and then this and then this and you played one of these. And like that's like a seven card combo. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But it was good times. It was a lot of fun. Really interesting people. Just neat to, to get to be on the backside of all this. So we've already kind of hinted in terms of the timing here. Our journey is going to be a little bit of a throwback uh, to 1999 and the game Young Jedi. And John, you actually uh, did bring something for Caleb and I today uh, that I do want to say thank you for that we did not expect. But yes, go ahead and uh, just give us a description here of what we're looking at before we uh, before it is no longer in this condition. <laughs> sure. Well, what you've got there are a pair of original Menace of Darth Maul starter decks. This was the first release of Star Wars Young Jedi. When we were going to talk about it, I thought, you know, you guys really need starter decks in order to experience this. So, uh, yeah, you have the original two copies of the original 1999 starter decks. Uh, they came out, what, May 1999. Basically, each box is 30 cards that are light side and 30 cards that are dark side. So one box... Two players could learn the game. Two boxes you could actually make two tournament legal decks out of. Oh, my word. Well, shall we uh, commence? Yeah, and let's break in. Yes. The, yeah, the plastic is going to go away here. And we will look what we got here. Yes, they are hermetically sealed <laughs> in there. We should have brought box knives. I'm just envisioning this as like a 90s tap time capsule and what song we'll be playing as these are getting cracked open, other than, a, obviously, a, something from John Williams. Oh, my word. I can hear Duel of the Fates in my head. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Oh, gosh. Oh, wow. Yep. There's the rules, and there's... The cards. A lot of familiar faces. <laughs> and Royal Guard, leader... Okay, and also some faces that I have no memory of. Of course, yep. I will admit readily, it's been a long time since I've watched The Phantom Menace. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> in the starter decks, you had, you know, a couple of the mains. So you had a, a Ben Kenobi card and you had a Darth Maul card. Mm -hmm. But then in the middle, you've got a lot of just, you know, the extra characters, uh, the ones who, you know, were standing in the background or just wandering through a scene. So you'd normally, you'd make your deck largely out of those. Uh, sealed deck play was always something that I super enjoyed. I just, I loved the challenge of it. So in a sealed deck game, we would start with one of these. Actually, we'd, you know, split up. So I would get all the cards from one side. My opponent would get all the cards from the other. And then we would open a bunch of uh, card packs. And again, you know, you'd get all the light side cards. I'd get all the dark side cards. And we'd have to come up with a deck from that. So, you know, largely your deck was what you got in the starters. And then augmented by any good pulls you got out of the uh, out of the booster packs. Oh my word! Yeah, yeah. No, looking at this again, just thinking about it from the gameplay perspective, uh, we've each got our leader here. Uh, but then, if my uh, if my royal guards are unsuccessful in taking you down, I at least have some Jawas to lean on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or exactly. some battle droids. <laughs> yep. When in doubt, send the Jawas. <laughs> John, you're the one with the wealth of experience here in terms of playing this game. Uh, what's our next step on setting this up? Uh, it's probably easiest for one of you to just take, to play with one deck. Uh, so one of you take the 30 cards that are from the light side and the other the 30 cards that are from the dark side. And if you look at the back of the cards, you can quickly see which one is which. So red is light side, blue is dark side. Oh, you want to be dark side? I unless, unless you wanted to claim no, go it. for it. All right. Have at it. But yeah, you don't have to mix them all up and make a 60-card deck because um, that would take too long. Yeah, But, I mean, you're welcome to. I'm good either way. Mm -hmm. um, so, basically, you um, when you're building a deck, mm -hmm. then normally you would look in the corner of the cards. There are uh, little colored dots down there in the corners. Yep. And that tells you which type of card you are looking at. And when you build a Young Jedi deck, you get 10 cards with each dot color. So that's what enforced the, the layout of the game. That was one of the unique things that Young Jedi did. Uh, they made it super easy to do bu deck building because you could look at it and go, I have 10 reds, I have 10 purples, I have 10 greens, I have 10 yellows. Okay, I've got a deck now. So if we've each got one half of the original deck, if I was to just do two and two, boom, it's fully legal? Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Yeah, that was you know, one There's of the really nice one. things. Yeah. Awesome. From there, uh, basically you just you shuffle up the cards. Right. And uh, pick one player to go first. Uh, usually, it is uh, it's like the dark side player. Usually, because you know this is the Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. uh, and when uh, when you're playing the game, you are playing it across three planets. So just like in the movie, you've got Tatooine, uh, you've got Coruscant, and then you have Naboo. So. Whoever is the first player, uh, after you shuffle, then you look at your cards and you uh, you pull out one of the locations. It's one of the full art cards that has a picture of either uh, Tatooine or Naboo or Coruscant. And that's going to be your first location. So you would put that into play in front, and that goes kind of between the two of you. Because you are going to be playing uh, cards to that location. So you'd, you'd think about the game in terms of like a, a three-act movie. Um, amazing. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Mm -hmm. Story structure. Exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so, Ben, if you want to pick 
whether you want to start on uh, Coruscant or you want to start on Naboo. Well, as you... I started going through this, the first, the second card I'm, I'm seeing here is Tatooine. Okay. So, How many cards do we start with? Uh, you will, once you have shuffled and drawn, uh, you draw six. Does that include that one? Uh, no, that does not include the one, not include the location. Uh, now you've got your six cards in hand. As you look at the cards, now if you look in the upper left corner, you will see there's a little square icon, and then there's some, usually some silver bars underneath those. Some things have few silver bars. Uh, there are a few cards that have none. Uh, your, your Jedi and Sith cards have six bars because they're really expensive to put into play. On a turn, you can play six bars worth of cards. So, for instance, right now, Ben, since you are player one, uh, then you would start by picking out which cards you want to play, and you would put those face down at the location. Okay. Okay, so you're going to put out one card, and because, you know, because right now you're, we're kind of setting up the first turn, right. that's why you played it face down, mm -hmm. so that, that you don't have any kind of advantage of knowing, oh, he, he did this, I'm so going to mess him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then you would redraw because that is the, the completion of your first turn. Right. Okay, so now uh, you are going to place down some cards. Uh, you're going to play yours face up, and then at the end of your turn, Ben's going to flip over his card. Hi there. This is Ben from a couple months after this episode was recorded. We are going to learn to play Young Jedi and play through an entire game. If you're into tabletop gaming or Star Wars, much of what's coming will most certainly be for you. Feel free to take a moment. Pop some popcorn. Make a playlist of Duel of the Fates on repeat. We'll wait. However, if that's not something you'd be overly into, and we get that, feel free to skip to around the 45-46 minute mark. You'll pick up with our conversation with John, and there's still more to come with a Star Wars-centered storytelling spotlight as well. Enjoy! Okay, and you can play up to six bars? You can play up to six bars. Quick aside, uh... What do we do then when I when of my six cards right now two are also the location? Am Actually, I, you just you hang on. Those? You hang okay. on to those for right now, uh, because if you Caleb happen to pull your Tatooine location, then you could play it and replace his location. Okay. Now, why why would that be interesting? Well, as you look at your cards, you'll see on the left hand side there are images of three different locations. Some of those images have little red dots in them. That means that character has extra power at that particular location. So Ben, some of your characters have extra power here at this spot, but some of yours have extra power at the uh, at the the uh, Tatooine pod racing arena. Mm -hmm. So that's that is why you might keep those cards in your hand. Like if he replaced the location, then you could go, ah ha ha! <laughs> no, we're going back out there. That makes a lot of sense. I can see that. Yep. All right. Well, I will start out strong and put my boy Obi-Wan Kenobi in play. Excellent. Okay. And that's six bars. So that was the end of your play. So at that point, we flip my so card. At that, yep. So go ahead and flip your card, Ben. So now uh, play is back to you. You probably already figured this, but yep, we are one of the winning right out of the we gate. We are starting right off. Okay. So at this point, Ben, you can play more cards. Okay. So now you can put out... Um, you know, you could put out, say, some weapons. You might put out some supporting characters. And you always draw back to six. You will end. always be draw, drawing back to six. The other... Also, again, I'm bearing in mind that we're doing this for a, 
an audience that is only listening. But we do have a, we are out in the Tatooine uh, landing site. So out in the middle of the desert. Yep. And the situation right now is Caleb's Obi-Wan against my Darth Maul. So, so we started out right <laughs> out of the movie. It is 1v1 for the moment. Now, as you look at your hand, uh, you may have some cards that are weapons. Uh, they have the mostly a black face on them. Uh, you may also have some cards that have a red face, and those are battle cards. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about those in a minute. And then you probably have a lot of character cards uh, because, well, that's the, the majority of your deck. All right, so I've got six bars worth of cards here. And okay. you said weapons first when in doubt? Um, you don't have to play. When you're playing them out, you don't have to worry about order. Order will become important during the impending battle. All right, well, we'll have a blaster rifle in the hands of a battle droid that is getting an advantage from this location. He's got a couple of dots over Ooh, at the desert landing. Okay. We also have a Nemoidian that gets an advantage in all three locations. Nice. But getting an advantage in this one, I assume that will be helpful. That's helpful. And then a battle droid officer that is getting an advantage still on Tatooine, but not here. So Okay. Here so Obi-Wan is facing quite a crew of people here. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Ben, it would be in your advantage or to your advantage. Don't don't draw up yet. It's oh, oh. not the end of your turn. All right. Is he always like this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've played Smash Up, right? Oh yes. Yeah. I mean, we have done a lot with that game one v one. So yeah, Caleb's absolutely right. I yeah, like, we, we love Smash we, Up. We try to break that game. Oh yeah. <laughs> so Ben, you know, you've got quite an overwhelming advantage here. So it would be in your best interest to declare a battle. Uh, that's kind of what I was thinking. So yes. We okay. Will declare a battle. And pause. Hi, this is Ben from a couple months after we recorded this episode again. So Caleb and I were both brand new to this game. And as we're recording, we asked John to explain it to us without any reference materials. We didn't hand him the rule books that came with our starter decks. So there is one error here. Caleb and I should have both played our cards face down. And then I would reveal mine and play a second group. More on that in a moment. So when you declare a battle, uh, first thing you do is if you have any red battle cards in your hand, uh, you have an opportunity to play those. Uh, you don't play them face up. You just announce I'm adding one battle card to my hand uh, or two or however many you have. Uh, if you don't have any battle cards, then you just pick up the cards that you have in play on your side. So go ahead and pick those back up, kind of set your hand aside. And this, this is the part. I wonder what order I'll pick. I wonder what order you will. I that's going to be, uh, I just don't know. Um, so now is when you are worried about the order of the cards. So you're going to put your cards in order, kind of a front to back order. And when, when you do the battle, you're going to just flip your cards face up one at a time. So when you put your cards into order, if you have a weapon, for instance, you have a weapon card on yours, uh, you'll want to put the weapon before the character who's going to use it. And beyond that, you can put your characters in any particular order you want. So, you know, you could be, you know, if you want to lead with Darth Maul, which would make a lot of sense because you know that Obi is going to be going next. Uh, you know, that would certainly be a good thing. If you wanted to arm Darth with the blaster, then, you know, you're going to get a bonus from that. Because right now, I think you guys are, I think you have this, about the same power. So adding the, uh, adding the blaster, you know, might help you. And pause. One other rules clarification here. So in Young Jedi, you cannot declare a battle until both players have cards face up on the planet in play. 
Caleb's Obi-Wan Kenobi card should have remained face down until his second turn, meaning he could have declared combat first, not me, giving him a chance to even the score. We did not do that, so I am about to attempt to kill Obi-Wan a few films early. Okay. So, and it does say that it can work in the hands of any character. Also, yes. I'm already doing the move you were telling us about, yeah. where as you're setting this, <laughs> you know you're looking at the bottom of your battle deck, and you're constantly checking, please tell me I have this right in the right order. Exactly. Yeah. So many times, you get, you're get you looking at the cards, it's like, okay, I've about got them done. Then you hold them out face down, and then you, you flip your hand back around. It's like, no, make you sure... Yeah, I got it. I got it. No, did I do it right? Yes, I did it right. Yeah, the anxiety kicks in and then you go yep. there. So, all, all right. right. So you will both flip the top cards out of your out of your hand. All right. And then since you played a weapon first, Ben, you're going to play your next card. All right. All right. So now we have Obi-Wan Kenobi empty-handed facing off against Darth Maul with a blaster rifle. He can take him. Now, what we do is look at the power of the card. So both of the cards have power three. We look at the location. Both of them, I think, get bonuses at this location? Yeah, yeah. it looks like they do, two each. Okay, so right now we're at five each, but he's got that blaster rifle. Now, if you look at right next to the where it says any character on the blaster rifle, you'll see that weird little uh, square logo. That is Watto's uh, gambling cube. Okay. Yes, so that means that you, Ben, get to draw a card from the top of your deck... Okay. And you will flip it over, reveal it, All right. and just lay it out here on the planet. All right. Um, and you look at the number in the top corner. So right. that's a three. Yes, it is. Okay. So you have three plus two for the location plus three more. So you're up to a power eight, which is going to defeat Obi-Wan. A sad day. Yes. Now you take that battle card or the uh, the battle droid that you pulled. All right. That goes to your hand. Okay. So he does not go away. You get these. Basically, you've drawn him. But sadly, Obi-Wan has been defeated. So he goes into your discard pile. Okay. But if you look in the lower corner, lower left corner, there's a big six damage down there. There is. That means you peel off the top six cards from your deck and they go straight into your discard. Well, I don't like that. Ooh, okay. And this is a game where when you run out of cards in your draw deck, you are dead. Okay. So you just hurt him pretty badly. So now uh, his deck is, he's hes done at the planet. You've still got cards. Okay. So you keep flipping over your cards. All right. The battle For, line reforms. Yep. So this is called breakthrough damage. So you have one, two, three more characters that came out. So you peel off another three cards into your discard. So he just took you for about one-sixth of your deck. Curses. This is why Qui-Gon met Darth Maul in the desert. But don't worry. The landing site. This, this gets more interesting. So now it's the end of your turn, and you know what? You have won the planet of Tatooine. All right. Congratulations. So now, the, now really wish we'd been playing for Coruscant, but okay. <laughs> so the game is one-third over. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like in any good movie, the camera is now going to shift. Well, all of these characters, they're stuck on Tatooine unless he pulls a card that lets him recover the characters and send them on. So we're just going to kind of move those guys all over to the side. And since you have lost the planet, you can pull up the next location. And I just go through my deck till I get one. Right, right. Or in this case, you've already got one out in your discard. So sure. 
Yep, go ahead and bring that in. We are now at Coruscant. We are Very now good. the capital city. Now, I do want to, again, I feel like I tipped my hand earlier when I was like, hey, what can I do with these potentially? Are cards that reference locations on Tatooine really no longer of any at value? At this point, they are no longer of value because right. we have done Tatooine. Uh, there is a mechanic where if you want to completely reset your hand, instead of drawing up to six, you simply discard all the cards in your hand and draw a new hand. So given that you've got two locations there, yeah, probably a good time to discard and draw. All right. Okay, so now it is your turn to go first, Caleb. Okay. Because uh, we have a new planet. So you are going to you know, spend your six bars worth of cards, put them face down so that Ben doesn't get any advantage from this. Uh, this is a planet that you have to win to stay in the yes. game. Yes. Well, in doing so, I will put my whole hand Boom! face down. <laughs> okay. Now, an interesting side note here, Ben. Yes. Uh, one of the characters that you played, Darth Maul, mm -hmm. Darth Maul is a named character. That means there can be only one of him in the universe at a time. And he's currently stuck on Tatooine. So I do need to get him out of there before so I can send him to Coruscant. If you, right. If you had another Darth Maul card in your hand, you couldn't play him yet because currently he can only be there. But since my Obi-Wan is in my discard, if I get another one, I can play If you play pull him. another Obi-Wan, you can play him. Very good. Probably not for me, but very good. <laughs> good to know. Uh, let's see here. So, man, six cards down. That was a heck of a draw. I will, once again, I, I feel like every time I do this, I am consulting the expert. In, in your experience <laughs> yes, playing <sir>. this game. <laughs> the few times is, I have played. Is it better to play three characters or two and a weapon? Generally speaking, if you can get a weapon out, it's a good thing. Okay. Then that is the Because the, the weapon gives you that extra draw. Now, you have 10 weapons somewhere in your deck. So, you know, your, your deck right now is about 30 characters, 10 weapons. Uh, you've got 10 battle cards. And then you have your location cards and your transports and things. So you don't want to, like, play out too much. It's, it's a challenge. You have to kind of balance. What do I want to do here? Right, because if you play too much, you're drawing more right. and losing quicker. Yep. Oh, that's fair. Well, then I... It was going to be three cards either way, I think. So yep. I will attempt to match what you're throwing at me. Let's just do one last check here. Yeah. It's probably because it's going to get... All right. All right. So both of you are have your cards out, so you guys can flip them over. We have a blaster rifle on the dark side, a battle droid, and another battle droid. Officer and infantry. Caleb, what you got? We have two Royal Guard, and as you said before we started, when in doubt, bring the Jawas Woo! with a pair of blasters. Oh my oh, gosh. No. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is going to hurt. It's going to be a very interesting battle. And pause. We just did it again. That combat that we jumped the gun on earlier... We're about to do the same thing on Coruscant. And this time, I'm about to get wrecked. So at this point, we've got everybody face up on the table. And you have redrawn, Ben? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. So. so, Caleb, we are to you. What would you like to do here? And you can play first and then declare battle? Yes. Yeah, this is really going to hurt. Sure. <laughs> I will play one more Royal Guard and then declare a battle. Okay. So you pick up your cards. And I am using a battle card. Ooh. So the battle cards, uh, just they go in your deck uh, before. So the order is battle card, weapon, character. 
Okay. Or just battle card and character. For a second there, I thought there was going to be something additionally helpful on this battle droid officer, but it's just telling me that he is distinguished by having yellow color in his armor. There you go. <laughs> the yellow doesn't hide. It hides the blood. <laughs> Okay. Or the hydraulic fluid. Right. To this point, I have no idea what battle cards even look like. So, <laughs> same setup as before. <laughs> yes. And yep. Caleb, it sounds like you've got the battle card, so you'll be. I do. Off. I have security volunteers. So security volunteers. So what does it say on there? Uh, it has two red dots, and then use with any royal guard. Yep. And you see that little diamond mm-hmm. next to where it says royal guard. Any character that has that diamond shape is is more of a background, a general character, not a named character. So that means you can have battle guard. You can have those guards everywhere. Right. Okay, so you go ahead and and keep flipping until you get to your character. Oh, and the blaster. I also have a blaster, and then we bring out the the royal Royal guard Guard. leader. Okay, and on the dark side, what do we have here? A blaster rifle. Oh, we're going to see some uh, And the yellow armored officer, as previously mentioned. Okay, so we're on Coruscant, and neither of these characters have special power on Coruscant. They're both Tatooine-based characters. So nobody gets extra power for that. Then uh, you each do your draw for your blaster. So you'll draw the top card off your deck and just place it out here, and we're going to use the number off of it. All right. right. So looks like you each drew a four. Mm -hmm. Am I reading that right? Okay. So on the dark side, we've got two from the battle droid, plus four from the blaster rifle for a total of six. Over here on the light side, we've got two, plus two for the battle card, plus another four. So you're at eight, eight versus six. Dark side has lost. So the that card you drew goes into your hand. Okay. And now your battle droid and his blaster rifle go away. All right. And the damage on that battle droid is one. Oh. So you'll put those in your discard. And then peel the top card off your deck, and that one just goes away. A far cry. Yep. And now uh, the card you drew goes into your hand. So your destiny goes into your hand. Uh, Battle card just goes into discard. It's a one-shot deal. And now you keep going. They stay there. You keep going with your battle plan. I have another blaster and another royal guard. And do you have somebody else? The only thing I have coming out is a battle droid infantry. So the a lonely battle droid is marching out to meet you. Roger, Roger. And you shoot it. I do. So two power plus four for your destiny draw, and versus the battle droids two, you wasted the battle droid. And the draw goes in my hand. Yep, and another card off the top for Ben for one damage. And now the rest of your battle plan. One. A single royal guard. Yep, so these are going to be cards just peeled off your deck. So keep going. And a Jawa. Two and, and three. Jawa. So three cards off the top of your deck. That was pretty painful. All right. All right. Well, you guys have wiped each other out again. So we go on to the third planet. All right. So Ben, it's going to be up to you. We will settle this on Naboo. Yes. All right. Well, I do not have it currently in my hand, so I go through and find it. So then. you go through and find it. All right. And then he just reshuffles his deck? Right. And then he'll reshuffle. When you're playing the game in a you know serious game... Inevitably, you'd start out, you know, start out one place and maybe somebody would just like throw that planet in hopes that like you'd trap Darth Maul on the mm-hmm. planet. Yeah. Uh, and then likewise, the next planet, it's like, yeah, I just, I, I, I give. Yeah. And then it, the whole a- attack ends up happening on the third planet. You have this massive knocked out, dragged right. out fight on the last one. And so I can discard this Naboo in my hand. Um, you'd probably want to... 
Let's see. Naboo is where we're going. Uh, so you'd want to hold on to that. Okay. Because uh, your cards might either might have an advantage there or... Right, because um, you can replace the you same can replace location. The location. Yeah, because the one I've got here is Naboo, specifically the Gungan Swamp. Okay. So, Ben, we are to you, your lead. Okay, There's so three cards three for six cards. bars. Okay. And then at this point, you draw up. All right. So when would you replace a location card? Uh, during this part of your play. Okay. Yeah, so you can put out your... So I'll do that. Yep, so we have now replaced the location. And I will see your three... With and my three. Threes. All right, so go ahead and reveal. All right. And I think I led you guys astray. I think at this point we're going to we do our first battle. And pause. It was amazing to play this game with John and learn in the studio. He was correct that we misplayed the battles earlier, but we each should have had another turn to play cards before starting combat. Instead of waiting until each of us had two turns to fight, we're about to do it after one, so here we go. I was going to say, I feel like I don't have an advantage at the palace, and you probably do. Actually, this is going to be a whole lot of ties, uh, unless somebody's got a battle card. I do, actually. Okay. I do as well. Oh. Can you play so, as many? Uh, as you can, can play as many battle cards as you want. Uh-oh. Okay, okay. So, so you are declaring battle. Gather up your cards and set up your battle plan. Uh, to use a battle card, remember you just put it before the character you want the battle card to go with. It right. does not have to be the first card in your battle plan. Mm-hmm. So you could have like a character and then a battle card and a character. Same with weapons. You can kind of scatter your weapons throughout. There are even times when you might not even want to use a weapon. You just put it at the very back of your battle plan. You know, you're getting low on cards. Like, oh, I'm, I'm going to lose this part of the battle anyway. But if I can keep the, you know, if I keep somebody alive, right. I've got the weapon out there for my next turn. That yeah, makes sense. I died one time because I played Anakin and a weapon and... Anakin is cool because he gets a destiny draw for his power. Okay. But that meant I was drawing a bunch of cards mm-hmm. and I'm watching my deck go away. <laughs> All right. So, so we have our battle plan. I Here we go. start with the same security volunteers with the Royal Guard. Whoa. And yep. Incomplete control with a battle droid officer. All right. So power two plus two for the battle card. Power two plus two for the battle card. So you guys bounce. They offset. Yep. Battle cards get discarded and characters stay on the table. That is good. And surprise, surprise, it's the same thing again. (laughs) (laughs) This would often happen with starter decks. No answer this time. Okay. So we have two plus two for the battle card versus two. So the the, uh, battle droid is toast. Goes away and one damage. All right. And one more Royal Guard. Against one more Battle Droid, and I suspect so we have a tie. And you bounce, two and two. All right, so that ends the battle. We are back to uh, drawing up, so it was your turn. You will redraw your hand. And Ben, what evil do you wish to do? Uh, this time, I think it will be four cards. Uh-oh. So you have to wipe someone's characters yes to See, win the location. in order to win the last planet or in order to win a planet you have to completely eliminate your opponent's characters so that's why sometimes you know sometimes you might want to like put a battle card in a weird spot mm-hmm. just because you're you know you're you're basically trying to outmaneuver each other right uh, especially if your opponent has as like their lead character out you know, I want to maybe pair up Obi-Wan against just a battle droid so that I can I can protect Darth Maul. So there's a bit of poker going on 
and I am trying to predict what order he's going to play yes. his things in. Okay. Yes. Okay, now you play those face up. So we got a blaster rifle along with a battle droid infantry, another battle droid, this time an officer. Lots of battle droids. And All the Roger Roger. And an Neimoidian, the pilot. All right. Thousands so, of battle droids. I am guessing that you are planning to attack. That would probably be in my best interest, given I currently have a numbers advantage. There you go. All right. If you have battle cards to play, now is the time to declare them. I do not. Nor do I. Okay. Pick up your cards and then... Since these are dead location cards? Those are dead location cards. We will have a moment of silence for them. Same. Yep. So strategically, what you're, you know, what you are thinking about is where he might put that blaster rifle. Mm -hmm. Because pretty much whoever gets the blaster rifle is going to toast your character. Right. Now, Ben, on your side, you've got that Nemoidian who's only one power. Yeah. So you're probably not going to put him up front. Uh, You're probably going to let him be breakthrough damage somewhere in the back. Unless you want to just be a smart aleck and give him (laughs) blaster rifle. It's like, ah, you were shot by a Nemoidian. (laughs) Tempting. (laughs) The story value. Mm -hmm. Not that, you know, people would ever get snarky playing a card game. Oh, especially when it comes to Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> All, right, All right, so everybody got their, uh, got your battle plan together. Yes. I believe All so. right, let's start flipping cards and see what happens. All right. Blaster rifle immediately in the hands of, of a battle droid. Okay. Versus... The Royal Guard will go down. Yes, the Royal Guard will take this one on the chin. All right, so you have a rifle, so you have to pull your destiny draw All right. off your deck. Top card off your deck. All right. And the magic number is? Three. A three. So you've got five versus two. The Royal Guard is toast. And that is damage one. Damage one. All right. Next up in our hit of hits, a battle droid by himself versus a Royal Guard by himself. And they bounce. All right. Next up. Battle droid versus Royal Guard. Again, bounce. And then two more on my end. Okay. So which two is breakthrough. two breakthrough damage. All right. All right. So you both still have characters out. So, Ben, you go ahead and refill your hand. Caleb, it is up to you, sir. It is. Let's hope you've drawn something really awesome. I will put two cards down. Okay. These you can just play face up. He returns. Oh. Obi-Wan. Dun, 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 dun. With a blaster. Okay. And I will declare an attack. All right. Any battle cards on either side? I do not. Uh, actually, yes. Oh. The dark side rolls out a battle card. Oh. Dun, 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 All right, dun. so pick up your cards, put your battle order together. Yeah, now is when poker starts in a big way. Mm-hmm. Trying to discern, okay, is he going to lead strong? Is he going to lead weak? Because you would love to pick off that Nemoidian. I would. Because he's extra damage. Now, just so you know, even though Ben has more characters out than you do, he does not get breakthrough damage because you are the one that declared the attack. Good to know. Because otherwise it would just be all about throwing down all the characters you could. Mm-hmm. And it's like, haha, you attacked and killed me, but I've got 17 characters out. Yeah, I have 20 Jawas yeah. on the field. <laughs> Stop me. <laughs> one Jedi versus 20 Jawas. No power in the it's, universe yes. can stop you. Exactly. Are we ready? I believe so. All right. I have a blaster. With in the hands of guard. a royal guard. All right. And I've got the battle card with an officer. Okay. So on Ben's side, it's two plus two. Over here, we've got two plus four. Four. Nice. So six versus four. Ben, your battle droid has gone away. All right. And with him, one discard. And with him, one card discard. And this would go in my hand, but since it's useless. It would go in your hand. Yeah. 
in a perfect world, if we were you know religiously following all the rules, you end up pulling those into your hand, mm-hmm. and then you would probably just recycle your hand. All right, and then next up, I have Obi Wan. All right. Very glad. Oh, very glad I brought a gun to a Jedi fight. Oh, that was a sad combo. All right, Ben, you've brought a battle droid out with a gun versus an unarmed Obi. It was a calculated risk. It was calculated risk, good risk. But Ben, flip over your destiny card and let's see uh, what what terrible number you pull. He might pull a low number. I pulled a six. Oh, well, well, well that shot Obi Wan. So that's going to be Obi Wan into discard, and six cards go with him. Ow. Oh. Your powers are weak, old man. <laughs> We're not there yet. I know. All right. So Alec Guinness is not around. <laughs> next, he might have won. Next card. So we have another push. Okay. Yep. Two and two. Mm-hmm. So you push. And then do you, you still have cards? or no, you're this out? is my Okay. Guy. Yep. So then your last two guys uh, stay alive. Right. Okay. All right. So still contested location. So go ahead and refill your hand, and Ben, it is to you. All right. As the Royal Guards and the Battle Droids <laughs> working out against each other on Naboo. <laughs> Who will win? <laughs> you were totally channeling the commentators at the Potteries just now. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, my word. All right. I, I can't do that little two-headed, you know, back-and-forth thing they do. But. All right. I think we've got... And four cards face up. Uh, whatever you're going to deploy. All right. Uh, this is going to be an attempt to knock things out. Two okay. blasters and two infantry. Ooh, okay. And declaring battle. Okay. So you go ahead and pick up your cards. So, yeah, he is going to definitely try to knock out your last guy. Mm-hmm. He is we'll just, see if the gods are kind. He is brutal. <laughs> brutal. The tension is palpable here. The fate of the universe is at stake. It is. That moment when you have too many cards. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Were the negotiations cut short? Yep. All right. Shall we begin? Yes. All right. Okay. So we've got our first blaster rifle in the hands of infantry. Versus a single okay. guardsman. We'll be shooting a guardsman. Go ahead and draw your destiny card. All right. That is a four. Okay. So... Guard goes down, and one damage from that. All right, and now the fateful flip. And picture the army coming forward in total symmetry because it is once again a blaster rival in the hands of an infantryman. Okay. But this time I have a blaster. Oh, this is uh, going to get interesting. Yep, so do your destiny draws, gentlemen. Here we go. Four. Three. No! Oh! <laughs> the dark side has defeated the light. Ben for the win. And that is two planets. Yep. And thus the end of the game. Mm-hmm. So congratulations, gentlemen. You have just experienced Young Jedi. We have. That was fantastic. Although nothing worse than having your second Darth Maul in your hand and not being able to retrieve him in any way. You were absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Had to win that in the trenches with the droids. Yeah. Then as you, as you would collect more cards and you're building your own decks... So you would get into things like uh, the ships. There, there's transport ships and there's fighters that you would put into your deck. A transport ship lets you get a named character off of a planet okay. and recycle them into your deck. But you're also playing fighter cards, which can shoot down transports. So now not only did you lose all those cards, you lost the transport and the trans takes damage just like everything else. Oof. Yeah. Even though the game was designed for 
It was designed to be an entry-level engaging game. You know, really, Decipher was trying to come up with something that would get people into their big game, into the Star Wars customizable card game. So this was designed to be an, a doorway in. So that's why they, they did it with you know, very strict deck building rules with almost a graphical deck building system. Because you literally could just look at the cards and go, yeah, I've got 10 of these, 10 of these, 10 of these, and boom, I've got my deck put, you know, put together. Uh, they took away some of the choices in order to make the game more accessible. Uh, what they found out was some of the more advanced players were kind of like, eh, yeah, I don't like this. I, I want more flexibility. You know, to which the designers said, well, we understand that. That's why you're playing that game over there. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't designed for you in the first place. Mm -hmm. But for new players, for younger players, for strategy challenge players like myself, it's a really fun little game. And pause. Then John had another surprise for us. He handed Caleb and I each a stack of additional cards that began the process of making our starter decks a little bit stronger. So these are some uh, extra light side and dark side cards from, these are from the Naboo set. Now there are two of them. <laughs> This is so cool. Thank you, John. You're more than welcome. Yes, my wife was just thrilled. She was like, hey, you're getting rid of some of the young Jedi cards? Now I have really? vanguards in defense? Oh, gosh. I got Queen Amadala. Yeah, and then if you look at the cards, there's a little symbol at the bottom of the card that's either like a three-bladed propeller mm -hmm. or a four-bladed cross or a star. Mm -hmm. uh, stars are rare. The four-bladed cross is uncommon and the three-bladed uh, propeller is common. Okay. So when you get a pack of cards, you get an 11-card pack, mm -hmm. and you get one rare, and you get three uncommons, and then the rest were commons. Ah, your friend. We will be talking about this momentarily. Yes, yes. Oh, we shot. Yep. Well, we had, I had to you know, set you guys up each with some cool rare. So. <laughs> and the starter set didn't have that, right? No, uh, no. All the starters were uh, completely identical. Uh, in fact, that was one of the things that people complained about. Oh, was oh. the starter decks. Yeah, it's just, you know, yeah, you put it on, on Coruscant now for the second set, but it's really just like the first set. Well, yes, they did that for balance. <laughs> so, yes, now you guys can customize your deck a little mm -hmm. bit. And you can, believe it or not, go on eBay and find, <laughs> you can still find boxes, like booster boxes, sealed booster boxes. Oh, yes. Buy a whole display of cards. Just continuing with... Uh, looking at the sets we have here, I would mm -hmm. change my opening attack completely. Like, oh, yeah. okay, we're not leading Darth Maul. We're going to lead uh, Diva Shaliqua or <laughs> Diva Fanquita <laughs> or Tunbaktura. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, it was interesting in um, those, those two Diva cards in the yeah. same set that those came out with, they had some cards of the kids. Remember, uh, there were some kids that Anakin was running around with. Yeah. yeah. But the uh, one of the little girls that he was friends with was actually Lucas's adopted daughter. Oh. And she has a card in the game. That's cool. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, Amy, A-M-E-E. -E. Hopefully she still has a card. I imagine she does. She, I think she was in all three of the, the prequel movies. Oh gosh. That's so freaking cool. There's your bit of weird trivia for the day. So now that we've gone through the experience of learning the game with the starter decks, mm -hmm. you have brought with us, I do want to, Make sure the word is emphasized because you just said it. You have brought some binders from home yes. with additional cards for this game. Uh, Caleb's paging through one right now. So what are some of the things we can highlight here? And just how did this game evolve oh, as sure. time went on? The initial set 
started out was the uh, it was the Menace of Darth Maul was the name of the first set. Uh, so we're on Tatooine. All the characters are very focused on Tatooine. Uh, then in the the next two releases, we went to Coruscant and then we went to Naboo. Um, so most of the the card art on the games changed. Where in the first set it was mostly yellow because you know Tatooine's desert planet. Then in the second set on Coruscant uh, it was blue, and then finally on Naboo it was green. So you would see like on this page you've got uh, some of the cards at the top are yellow backed. So those are are cards from the first set. Uh, Mace Windu and in the middle is blue. He's from the Coruscant or from yeah from the Coruscant set. And then we've got some of the uh, Amidala and the tank cards which were from Naboo. They were both expanding the kinds of cards. Uh, then they came out with some special releases, uh, the the Amidala cards and the Windu cards on that one. Uh, you notice they are colorless. Uh, so those cards were wild. Normally when you were building a deck, you had to follow the rules of color on the card. There were six little color dots, and you could have ten of each color dot card in your in your deck. So that's how you knew, oh yeah, I have a legal deck. I have ten of these, ten of these, ten of these. So with these cards, the colorless ones, now suddenly you could throw those in wherever. Just asking from the angle that I, I can't see, if you don't mind paging back, Caleb. Yep, sorry. I'm going to assume if in episode one, Jedi, Padawan, Obi-Wan takes six bars to put out, Mace Windu's definitely a six bar as well. I believe so. Yes. Yep. All right. Oh, my word. We had the three basic sets, and then they made some extra special sets. Uh, earlier in this binder, there's... Uh, there are some cards that are combination of a character and a weapon. Yeah, so go there you go. So on those, you would have a single card that represented two cards previously. Uh, and those would, um, they just go in your deck wherever, uh, and, and they're colorless cards. So they would count when you put them into play, it automatically counts as now, you know, a battle droid with a gun or a, a Jedi with his lightsaber. Uh, which that changed the game dramatically. We saw those when you started getting into the later releases. Um, they did a very cool release, my personal favorite, I think, uh, which was Duel of the Fates, where they added new gameplay elements. So now you could actually have Jedi duels. And that, man, that turned into some interesting strategy because you now had to think, well, you know, before maybe I don't even want to put Jedi in my deck. Because if a Jedi dies, it's going to cost me a lot of cards. So maybe I'll just run with low-level characters and hope to overrun my opponent completely. But when Duel of the Fates hit, suddenly there was a reason. You'd better darn well have a Jedi in your deck. Because otherwise your opponent's going to duel the living daylights out of you and you're going to die. So you know, you, as you look through there, some of the cards are foils. Uh, that was a big chase thing, uh, where as you opened your pack of cards, instead of a rare, uh, you might find a foil. So it was the same card art, but printed with a really neat reflective foil background. And yes, somebody has a foil collecting problem. <laughs> um, so you'll see uh, there's there's one binder, a number of pages that might be foils, because because uh, John John liked shiny cards. <laughs> They're just better. They are. I mean, I think it's amazing just, it's like every character from the movies. You have the Trade Federation guys, Anakin's mother, all Weird the moments vehicles. like, you know, like Darth Maul's motorcycle speeder thing. Yeah, all the different <laughs> pods from the pod racers. Mm -hmm. 
two different variations of Sebulba. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Got to have multiples of everything. Mm-hmm. The they we were just talking. The two-headed yep. commentator from the race is in here. This is so cool. Yeah, yeah. They they really started filling out uh, the lore. So characters who were on screen for just a moment, uh, you know, they they would go through official lore because, of course, this was a a Lucas licensed product. So everything was considered to be canon. And then they they came out with these double cards late uh, where now we would either have two options of ways you could play those cards or you'd have a literally a double card where now what used to be two cards would be just one and you would get the benefit of both cards, which, again, changed the mix, changed the game, you know, and how it played and how you designed your decks. And, you know, and at some level, it also created some problems in the game because when you're talking about a collectible card game, one of the basic things is every time you put out a new release, you are doing something that breaks something that was powerful in the old game, and you are introducing a new meta that is going to be super powerful now because you're trying to get people to keep buying cards. So I was lucky enough to own a game store when this was coming out. So I got my toys at half price. But... You know, even so, there's that challenge with a collectible game that at its heart, it's collectible. And so in order to stay competitive, you got to keep buying cards or you got to keep trading cards, uh, getting to play with the designers, uh, getting to play with with these guys who are top tier national players and trying to learn from them with the keyword being trying. Because you'd have different when you do tournaments, you'd have different formats of the tournament. Uh, Mostly the formats were what we call constructed where you're pulling cards from your collection, you are building your 60-card deck, and this is now the deck I'm going to take to the tournament. Uh, With this particular game, you would, if I'm going to play in a tournament, then I'm going to take two decks with me. I'll have a light side deck and a dark side deck. And I will play off, I'll do uh, each deck usually three or four times. So we'd have six games or eight games traditionally. Now, my personal favorite way to play is the other way, (laughs) not constructed. Uh, My personal favorite was playing sealed, where you would start out with two halves of the starter decks. So the same decks you guys were playing, uh, you would only play one side. So you would either play light side or you would play dark side. If, you know, Caleb, if you and I are partnered, then, uh, you know, we're going to crack open our starter decks and we draw for who gets which side. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hand you, say, all the light side cards. You're going to hand me all your dark side cards. And then we're going to go tearing into card packs. So we might get six packs or ten packs. And we will open those up and, again, split all the cards, which can be really cool and it can be really painful. When you look at the cards, it's like, oh, there goes the rare I was hoping to collect. My life sucks. So then from just those cards, so for my 60 starter deck cards and then however many cards I got out of packs, that's what I have to build my deck with. And that was my format. I loved that. My one claim to fame with Young Jedi... When the system finally, they pulled the plug on it, I was the number one sealed deck player in the world. (laughs) Which that and a buck will get me a drink at McDonald's. (laughs) So in the sealed booster card packs, was there an even distribution of dark side and light side or was it random? Roughly even. Okay. There was, it was always an odd number. So it was a 11 card pack. So sometimes you'd get, you know, more light side cards than dark side, sometimes more dark side than light side. But it was roughly even. They worked pretty hard on that. Part of me does want to riff on some of the cards just as I'm paging Please, riff away. It's fascinating. But like some of these, uh, like Galactic Delegate Representative, again, blue cards from Coruscant. 
I'm looking at a morbidly obese Twi'lek and the quote at the bottom is the bureaucrats are in charge now from Senator Palpatine. But then I'm reading that quote and just thinking, oh, well, how would you streamline the system, Senator Palpatine? (laughs) (laughs) I I want to point out there is a Tusken Raider leader whose name is I think that's an accurate pronunciation. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you did a good job because you got that emphasis going right on the on the third syllable there. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also uh, some cards. I'm not holding uh, a signed copy, but when we were going through the binders, you do have a couple signatures, and you did get to meet one of these characters in real life. I'm holding up yep. uh, Ara Singh. Go ahead. Ara Singh, uh, yep. I got to meet Michonne. Very, very wonderful lady. Uh, just so sweet. It was really interesting to meet her because she had not been a Star Wars fan. When she was cast, uh, she said she had just started her modeling career about a week or two before the casting call. And suddenly she is cast as Aura Singh in this movie. And she really doesn't have a frame of reference for what she's getting into, except she knows that Star Wars is kind of big. So when George Lucas told her, oh, yeah, don't worry about you're going to be on screen for a few seconds, but I'm going to make you I'm going to make you a star. And and she thought, yeah, whatever. So now here it is, you know, 20 years later, and she gets invited to conventions still, and she does signings. And when I got to meet her, the movie was fresh, and, you know, everything was was quite new. And she was really a little mystified about why she was even at this convention. Because they told her, you know, well, we want you to come out and, you know, meet the players and sign stuff. And, And she really just... She did not understand the fandom aspect of it. And frankly, because she was so nice and so pretty. Some of the guys who play these games, sometimes they aren't the most social. (laughs) And so you would have these moments like, like here's Michonne sitting at a table and there'd be like a five foot air gap. And then a bunch of guys who were all just dying to go talk to Michonne and they were all screwing up their courage to go talk to her. And, you know, she's just kind of sitting there like, okay. Who's going to be first? Got to meet Anthony Daniels, so that was kind of fun, too. He was uh, C-3PO. you got to think back, because this was like 2000, 2001, yep. right? Yeah. So that's a far cry from the days of, oh, everyone knows about Game of Thrones. Everyone knows that mm-hmm. their presence at Comic-Con is going to be crazy. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it was back when Comic-Con still fit in the San Diego Convention Center. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to ask you to follow up a little bit more on Anthony Daniels, but I just turned to a page here that is all Obi-Wans, and we have a Tatooine Obi-Wan, a Coruscant Obi-Wan, and a Naboo, and I love that the Naboo has him labeled as a Jedi Knight, because at that point in the movie, he's no longer Qui-Gon's apprentice. Yep. I, the, yeah, the, the licensed product, this is incredible. Yeah, the main takeaway I'm getting from this is if you're a fan specifically... Of Phantom Menace, this is like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, because they they pulled so much art. They created some art because they had characters that, you know, were just seen in passing. And now we need we need that person's face. So they were able to create it and go through the Lucas archives and pull stuff out or generate new art, you know, in partnership with Lucas. I've now got three pages of the rushed puppet Yoda that was used in Phantom Menace. <laughs> yes. And three different variations in R2, and we get through some ships. And now we're on to another binder. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think there are eight binders total. And the whole box of uh, of all those other weird cards, mm-hmm. uh, like the uh, the Japanese and German cards I was showing you. This game was translated into Japanese and German, and I was lucky enough to get my hands on some of those cards. 
called in some favors with a friend who happened to be traveling to Japan. It's like, look for this. If you see it, buy all you can. I will reimburse you. I'll pay you a carrying fee. I was so thrilled because when he came back, he had two booster displays. I, I said, how on earth did you get these? He's like, I was just in this shop and I saw them up there. And, you know, I managed to communicate that I wanted to buy them. And, and then, uh, you know, like, how many? It's like, I'll buy them all. And uh, like, all? <laughs> I, I do want to mention uh, just again, going through how cool this game is and seeing some of the different comparisons here page one of this binder i just opened uh-huh. we've got obi-wan and now he's it's on naboo and he's labeled as jedi avenger so qui-gon has died yeah uh, we have a very ragey ewan mcgregor right here mm-hmm. and he only has four bars so he's easier to put in combat than he otherwise would be with five mm-hmm. yeah yeah they changed the the rare cards so like the rare jedi they put five bars so that if you had their lightsaber, lightsaber was one bar, so you could deploy them and their lightsaber on the same turn. Oh, my word. Another little, you know, just, oh, yeah, well, if you have the starter deck, it's a little more expensive. You can't get him and his lightsaber. Mm-hmm. If only you had more cards. Only you had the the rare. If only you the had one the... rare you need. Exactly. Exactly. I did like the fact that they made a more general Jedi lightsaber mm-hmm. so that... Even if you didn't have the matching one, all of the Jedi lightsabers could be wielded by other Jedi. Well, that's what I liked looking through it. I saw, like, Qui-Gon's lightsaber was a card, and it worked for any Jedi, but it gives a bigger buff to Qui-Gon himself specifically. Yeah. Which you could even use in strategy if you have Qui-Gon and other Jedi out. Mm -hmm. Be like, well, obviously I'm going to put it with Qui-Gon. Nope. I'm going to throw you for a loop and put it with the other one. Exactly. (laughs) I keep referencing the last time you and I are in a studio together, John, That's but okay. it does help to provide some context. No worries. So we will be talking about just the experience of Star Wars movies in general in okay. a moment here, so we can kind of get that in our heads. Okay. But I do want to, while we are still on the merchandising side of it, what are some of the other Star Wars merch and toys and other things that we have had that are stories we would care to share now? Because I know there's so oh many. Gosh. There's different experiences growing up. I know I was heavily dissuaded when I was very little from playing with my brother's action figures because they were from the 80s and no, I'm not allowed to play with them. But then as I got older, I had my own action figures. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, you have Lego Star Wars and then eventually yeah. Lego Star Wars video games. And it's just accessible at every level and so much that so much of us grew up loving. Oh, yeah. I think, like, for me, it was the toy lightsabers. Like, mm-hmm. literally every single kid I knew growing up had one. Yep. You had to. Like, it was the thing. Which is genius on Lucas's part because not only are, you know, the kids falling in love with the films, but now they get the toys, they're playing Jedi growing up, and it becomes so ingrained Mm -hmm. as a part of their childhood that it, I mean, it explains why there's all these guys at this convention playing this trading card game, needing to collect all the cards. Oh, yeah. And I know I just set up that not allowed to mess with the 80s action figures, but I do remember, again, the toy lightsaber (laughs) from my childhood was a Luke from Return of the Jedi. So green, ultimately, compared to some of the sabers now that they put out, it was actually probably as big as me. Of course, maybe I'm just remembering being a child and it seeming enormous. Mm -hmm. And then you have the experience of, by the time I had grown up, that thing was just beat to hell and back. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah, my kids loved it. They they had their sabers, and you know we always had to had to to tell my son it's like just calm it down a little bit. Remember, your sister really isn't the enemy. You're just kind of playing. 
Please don't, please don't beat the crap out of your sister with the lightsaber. And now, you know, they've got the Force FX labor, lightsabers. Uh, you've got the, uh, at the, the big Disney parks, the new Star Wars areas. You've got the you build your own lightsaber options down there. Yeah, I remember the first time I got in, uh, saw some of the Force FX sabers. And, you know, just the idea that, oh, my gosh, now I can, I can gently kind of play with it. Mm-hmm. And we can gently, have, you know, attack each other. And, and I don't have to make the sounds. Yes. And it makes the sounds and they're all right. And it flashes. And, oh. I remember reading an article in Wired just a couple of months ago talking about the new Star Wars park and how much effort they put into designing the Millennium Falcon, mm-hmm. specifically the hyperdrive like lever because they were like that is the key feature like that's what everyone wants to do they want to get in sit down and kick it into hyperspace yep you know and they should have it like one out of ten times instead of going into hyperspace it's like oh yeah so that they can sit there and go this is not my fault (laughs) fix it chewy exactly All right, so now you get to go to the back of the ship, crawl into this hole, and in about a minute, someone is going to drop a box of tools on your head. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. (laughs) And hopefully we won't go too fast and make R2 go backwards and fall into the hole, too. Yeah, there's a droid for you to yell at. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my word. That would be awesome. Thinking about, just again, our experiences of the Star Wars films, I know Caleb and I have gotten very different experiences of we are watching these on home video. Mm Mm-hmm. The prequels are coming out when we are small children. And then we get the sequel trilogy as adults. Now, John, you've gotten to experience, I am a kid seeing these for the first time. And then, just if I'm correct, I say this as a straggler child. I know you have two older and then one younger. You kind of got to experience, okay, I'm going to see these with a kid. Yeah. Each in succession, prequels, then sequel trilogy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was such a neat experience, you know, to be able to introduce this and watch them watching this film and, and engaging with it. It was fascinating, you know, with my youngest, uh, getting to go through the machete order with him, um, which is the, the order of, that makes the most sense with air quotes around it of how to watch the films. Um, I did machete order and then I, I was like, you know, we really just need to see him in order. We're going to start at the beginning. And uh, so I took him, you know, through all nine in order because my son is very patient. And, uh, he likes watching movies, but oh yeah, it was crazy. I remember when Star Wars was, when the original Star Wars, now episode four, uh, was the huge thing. I was just like, nope, I'm not going to go yet. I'm not going to go. I, I know everybody's talking about it. I'm going to be stubborn. I'm not going to go. And like six months. I mean, that was one of the things that we have to, it's so hard to think about today because th- movies flip through theaters so fast. You know, even even huge movies like Avengers Endgame, it was in the theater for a month mm-hmm. or maybe six weeks. Star Wars was in theaters for a year. That is mind boggling. And I went at the six month mark. I finally gave in. It's like, OK, fine. I'll go see the movie. Now, was the theater still full of people? There were a lot of people still there. It was still a thing. And I know there's a. I have to reference this because, again, it's just one of the things I know I've seen floating on the Internet that references seeing the original films and, mm-hmm. and having those opportunities. And it was a probably a maybe a teenager, teenager, young woman who had just this perfect, probably almost 501st or Rebel Legion worthy Rebel pilot costume. And again, 
pre-internet, she had to go see the movie in theaters again and again mm-hmm. to get all those little details right. Oh, People yeah. just kept going back. And when you, yeah, when it was in theaters that long, you could have the year of Star Wars, 77 through 78. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, Empire Strikes Back in a 70 millimeter uh, screening where it had a the slightly curved screen in front of you. And I was dead center seventh row. All I could see was the screen. And I came very close to getting motion sickness during the snowspeeder part of the battle. You know, I was like, screens up, screens down. I'm up, I'm down. Oh, my gosh. Please stop moving. But it was amazing. You know, just that whole, that experience, you know, being in the middle of all of these people and just experiencing all of this stuff for the first time. It, it harkens back to that moment in Back to the Future when they see this episode of The Honeymooners. And they say, oh, yeah, I saw that on reruns. What's a rerun? <laughs> this is new. And and having that moment then with my kids and then being able to explain, okay, now now that was the original edition. Now let's bust out the special edition. And now you can see the difference. Like what they did in that one scene with all the stormtroopers. Yeah, they weren't all that stormtroopers there. No, no, they added them. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I remember vividly being like a six-year-old in my living room watching the Battle of Hoth Mm -hmm. and like ducking behind couches and chairs and like peeking out and shooting my blaster and like putting myself in the movie. It's so cool that they've had such a massive generational impact. Yeah. Oh, so much staying power. John Caulfield, thank you so much for joining us on season one of Storytelling Breakdown. And if plans shape up the way they should, I hope to see you at Gen Con, if not before. Sounds like a plan to me. And... Oof. As you just heard, we tracked that before the pandemic. I have, however, gotten the chance to play Young Jedi with John virtually. Stay close. We'll be joined by our friend, fellow Star Wars fan and writer and producer, Steven Stahovsky, for a storytelling spotlight. Our gaming is storytelling conversations are going to continue. We're having a lot of Star Wars fans in our first season. And maybe the biggest one I know is Steven Stahovsky. There are things about the Star Wars universe we could do entire episodes on, and we wanted to shine the spotlight on something from our childhoods and early adolescence. And the last time I visited your house, Steven Stahovsky, welcome. And what are we talking about today? We're going to do a brief discussion on Battlefront 2 and not the pretty, uh, aesthetically pleasing 2017 release that honestly hasn't gotten good since the most recent downloads like two weeks ago but the original the 2005 release battlefront 2 the intro of the 501st legion the kind of clunky but the the gameplay got so just endeared and ingrained into my hands that i still like do it in my sleep every once in a while when i'm sitting here going oh that, that's a grenade wait a minute hold on oh i guess i just need you to go use the restroom never mind um, <laughs> um man, the golden age of star wars gaming really well, to that grenade experience, I mean, especially given my most regular playing of it was on the PS2, just as soon as you see one joystick, oh, joystick, oh, joystick, oh, and roll yeah, out of the absolutely. way. Um, oh, my word. A cross-console release, that was a big deal when it came out, right? 2005 came out for the PlayStation Portable, if anybody remembers those. Battlefront 2 was the first Star Wars game to really give you a story-driven, combat-based game 
that focused not on some crazy hyper-trained spec ops rebel or, or imperial or clone or a Jedi, but instead focused on the regular trooper uh, in the campaign, focused uh, entirely on the men of the 501st. And, and uh, that was a first for most of the Star Wars gaming that we'd gotten up until 2005, from the mid-90s with the Dark Forces games all the way through even Battlefront 1, you hadn't had a story-based game that focused on somebody normal. You had lots of Jedi, you had lots of people like Kyle Katarn who were ex-Spec Forces, and Battlefront 2 gave you a story that was that one, that attempted and, and did a phenomenal job, I think, of making the regular soldier somebody you wanted to care about. And it did this through these really, really cool cutscenes that I'm sure people who've played it remember of these, well, I remember when we did this. And it's this soldier who is remembering all of his tours of duty, both with the Republic and the fall of the Republic and the rise of the Empire. And the game developers did the best thing they could and got the original actor who portrayed the clones and Jango Fett to come back and do all the voice acting for the game. It just made the game feel so seamless, especially since it was released right on top of this, the exact same day as Revenge of the Sith hit DVD. First off, you have to take a minute and realize that this is the first time that anyone's heard of the 501st in Star Wars continuity, right? So in the galaxy, Battlefront Two is the beginning of the existence of the 501st Legion, which was the personal command of Anakin Skywalker and then later Darth Vader. And the game developers, when they were looking at it, you kind of have to think that they were they were they're running out of ideas of what to call these clone legions because this game predates everything that Disney purged. So you don't have the Clone Wars to draw on. You don't have uh, you've got some comics being done by Dark Horse that you can kind of draw on for some story idea, but not not a lot yet. The Clone Wars series that Dark Horse did didn't hit print until 2005. So they they call it the 501st, which if which is always is, is this massive fan service. It really is because the 501st Legion in our world, in our earthly experience, if you will, is a is a massive fan base of and and charitable organization that at that point was almost 10 years old. And you can do a whole episode about them, right? Like we don't mm-hmm. need to get into that. Absolutely. But the game developers said we need to take the 501st Legion and make them part of the actual Star Wars continuity because these guys are doing such great work on our actual planet that we kind of want to honor them. So you have the 501st, the very first time that they show up as an entity in any instance, and then that goes on to color and influence every single thing after it, as far as Star Wars is concerned. Battlefront Two set the scope for clones, regular soldiers to become loved characters. So why did we why did we fall in love with the 501st? Why did why was Battlefront Two such a such a well loved and mem- and memorable game? I mean, even today it still gets downloaded on Steam, it still gets downloaded on Xbox Live. It was a free game, like, six months ago, and I went and downloaded it. The The original Battlefront came out two months ago as a free game on, on Xbox Live. Definitely downloaded that. Why do we still play these? And Battlefront 1, there's, there's a nostalgia. I think it's almost all nostalgia. It was a kind of clunky. It was a great game, a great example of a shooter, and saying, hey, we can make a Star Wars shooter. And that's why it was largely why it was successful. But you get into Battlefront 2... And the story, I mean, there are still things that, to this day, I remember lines from the cutscenes. In particular, the one that stands out is 
the Nightfall mission. You are, the soldier is remembering getting Order 66 and marching on the Jedi Temple. And it's a completely unprecedented event because in the original trilogy, you see stormtroopers and they can't hit the broadside of a barn. Although I would argue that they're being ordered not to because they're supposed to follow our heroes and then blow up the rebels, right? So, like, there's there's a whole conspiracy you can get into with why the stormtroopers can't hit the broadside <laughs> of a barn. Easy. You call that easy. <laughs> right, exactly. You see in The Revenge of the Sith, this legion of, of clone troopers with blue markings, which is then later named, they go back and they retcon, oh, that's the 501st, into... Uh, the comic material and into the reading material later released with the DVD release of The Revenge of the Sith, which is, again, something that we'd never heard of happening. Of course, this is pre-Disney, so Lucas went, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I like it. We'll take it. And so you have the 501st. You have this massive, wonderful character base of of men who all sound the same, convenient, because now you only need one voice actor, <laughs> who all have their own story. And I remember Nightfall, so you're about to launch this attack on the Jedi Temple, and the cutscene before it, you get Jango Fett. You get this iconic-sounding voice. that You know it's the clone. At this point, this is like halfway through the game. You've gotten used to the way he kind of narrates things before a battle. And usually it's kind of like, oh, hey, this is a general overview of what we did and how bad it went or how great it went. And yeah, and we had a Jedi here to help us. And then you get to Nightfall, and he goes... What I remember about the rise of the Empire was how quiet it all was. And this the tone that he sets for that cutscene is completely different. Of course, you get this wonderful score by John Williams, because you can't do anything in the Star Wars galaxy without John Williams' name, at least coming up. And it's just haunting the way he talks about how the clones, if any of them wanted to not follow orders, none of them say it. He talks about how they march on the Jedi, and these men who had been leading them in battle, these men and women who had been leading these guys in battle for years. And I mean, for those of us who like were alive, um, probably most people listening to this podcast remember when the Two Towers came down. We've been in the same war since then. Like that's that's the kind of effect the galaxy was going through with the Clone Wars. And so you tap into that from the side of a soldier who's been fighting the same fight since day one. This soldier depending on how you look at the game, has been on the front lines since Geonosius, since episode two, all the way through to now episode three. Almost a whole decade of fighting on the front lines. And every time he has something to say about his his mission, there's always something to say. And now this, the only thing he can say is, it was quiet. Mowing down Jedi, fighting men with lightsabers, men and women who can move objects with their mind was Quiet. Um, and I, I just, that's my favorite part of the game because these are people that he revered. He talks about how great the Jedi were and how much, you know, watching them in action was impressive earlier in the game. And then now he's supposed to go march in and kill them all. And all he has to say is it's, it's quiet. And then you finish the mission and the cutscene afterwards, they go back to the same kind of cutscene format for his journals. And nobody speaks. It's just the score, which is gorgeous. And watching the clones mow down the Jedi in the Jedi Temple. And it segues into clips from Revenge of the Sith. And it was one of the best pieces of that game because you felt like garbage. 
You just actively took part in massacring the Jedi. And that was the whole point. You were supposed to do that. The game told you to go in and be a murderer. And you kind of said, yeah, sure. And you get into it because you really don't like to lose. Right? Because you're playing a video game. You're not allowed to lose. But you just killed a bunch of Jedi. It, it stops short of making you go in and actually slice up younglings because that would be really bad. But you get this scene and you you get down to the end of that and you're like, ugh, I feel like I just rolled in spiritual dirt. I feel like my, my soul is broken. And then the very next thing you talk about is how you get a bunch of shiny new weapons and bright white armor and new ships and now you're the Empire. And it's like, wait a minute, hang on. Can we talk about the fact that we just wiped these guys out? No? Okay, cool. I guess we're moving on. People fell in love with the unnamed soldier. The soldier who narrates everything doesn't even get a name through the whole game. Uh, not even a, a serial number. And they, they never say. Like, even if you go through the credits, they, they, they credit the actor who voiced them all, obviously. But they never actually give the narrator a name. And so that gets into a really interesting thing where the, the developers said, yes, it is all one man. But if you ever go back and play through Battlefront 2, and I, I highly recommend you do, always because it is a phenomenal piece of Star Wars gaming um, it's relatively challenging and and still to this day if you set it on elite you can you feel like you're being challenged it's still pretty it still plays well it's not as clunky as the first one where the controls just kind of sort of feel like I have two speeds not moving and running and I go instantly from one speed to the other uh, that's always something that drives me up a wall with with any kind of third person thing where you know people don't move like that so fix it please but uh, you go back and you play through Battlefront 2 and I like to think of it as each journal entry is a different soldier. If you ever go back and you, you listen to it, you get a wholly different whirlwind experience of all of these conflicting ideas of the Republic is great, we're fighting for a noble cause. Then you get this Felucia mission where everything has gone to literal hell and everybody's dying from flesh-eating diseases and giant monsters and toxic gases and plants that... You know, like giant Venus fly traps that eat people. And the soldier who narrates that first one just talks about how terrible it was. And how, you know, it's like I went to X, Y, num y Z number of planets. And the one that sticks out to me at my memory that super sucked was specifically this one. And if it hadn't been for that one Jedi, we all would have died. And then you get the, the, the Nightfall, which we just talked about. You get... Some of the more recent ones with the Empire, recent being, you know, going back to the originals. And if you go into it with this idea that all of these guys are individual soldiers, your game experience changes completely. And that's not to say, like, it. I'm not going to tell you it's better. It's the way I like to think about it because I think there's so many clones that you see and so many stormtroopers that you see through the movies that just get mowed down. And, you know, I want to know those guys' stories. I want to know why, why they're still there. Especially in the Empire where the clones at this point are starting to die off. There's less and less of them. And so the Stormtrooper squadrons are mixed uh, genetic identifiers, as it were. The only unit by that point that is purely clone is still the 501st. And you don't get to know what happens to these guys. And so Battlefront 2, I think, is, is ingrained into our memories simply because it was the first time you really did get to know what happened to these guys, what it was that these guys were thinking, were feeling as they were fighting to, quote unquote, save the Republic, even though they're taking secret orders from Sheev Palpatine and helping build the Empire without their knowledge. 
and then what they did to preserve their empire because they they always refer to it as their empire they take ownership of it and it's very interesting and and i think that's why it was one of the greatest games that was developed for star wars because it really it really made you care while also playing a wonderful shooter game where you get to blow things up which is always got to have a special place in my i just want to blow something up kind of a heart Steven Stahovsky, thank you so much for your time and joining us in the spotlight portion of Storytelling Breakdown. Yeah, thank you very much, guys. It was loads of fun to be here. I'm sure I'll be back. Steven will be back with us for future episodes. Our conversation with him concludes in a three-segment run of Star Wars-centered storytelling. Last episode, we heard from Alyssa Thomas and a cool update to her Star Wars art journey. If you follow Ashley Eccleston on Instagram, then you might have seen her share one of Melissa's drawings of Ahsoka. So that's awesome. Congratulations, Melissa. Our theme music is by Kurt Remke. Our logo is by Daniel Church. Steven Stahovsky joins us as a producer and a pre-production writer. Our podcast is hosted by John Dawkins and Wayne Shout Productions. Thank you for having us. Everyone has a story. These are some of our favorites. And this has been Storytelling Breakdown. SP Wayne Shout Productions Wayne Shout <laughs>